Hi, this is Charlie Peck with the Thriving Educator Podcast. Today, we're going to talk with Dr. Frederick uh, Buskey, and we're going to talk about assistant principals because, boy, are they an important role. Do they play an important role in the mental health of our whole school? So, hi, I'm so glad you're here, Frederick. Hey, good morning, Charlie. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, and for people listening, uh, Frederick and I are in a group together, the Teach Better group. The Teach Better team hosts this, and it's an MBA program. And boy, have we learned a lot or what? Oh my gosh. You know what I, I love about that is just, I think in a way we model what instructional leadership teams could, should be like, and P, we're our own PLC. And, and I think the thing that is different in what we do from other things I've participated in is just the nitty gritty, like the level of detail. And I know there's times that all of us feel like we're having to peel back all the layers and be completely exposed in what we're doing, but that's how we grow. And we can have those hard conversations about how to get better at our craft. It's true. And we get to lean on each other and ask those tough questions. And we also get to give that tough feedback that, you know, because there's so much trust, it's, it's a great way to grow. And that's part of leadership. And that's part of why I love being a part of this group. You said it's like a PLC. It is a PLC that we don't get to have when we step out of a building or a district full-time into this. So I'm really glad. And I can't wait to talk about all the leadership that you do, particularly with assistant principals. Tell me why you really hone in on them. I think they're the forgotten leader. And I spent 13 years doing principal preparation at Western Carolina University and then later at Clemson University. So I know hundreds of people that have waded into that space and in working with them and following up and staying in touch, just the kind of level of loneliness and isolation and the fact that the the job of the assistant principal doesn't prepare you to be a principal. So it's just a really unique job and a group of people that tend to be more isolated than than teachers, especially. But principals usually have their groups and their things going on as well. APs a lot of times are just kind of out there and they're trying to put out all the fires and do all the managerial things at the same time that they really want to be instructional leaders. But sometimes it feels like that doesn't that's not part of the job, although that's why they got in there. Yeah. And they are an essential part of the mental health team. What role do they play there? I'm not the expert that you are. So it, I try to simplify everything. And to me, the when we distill everything down, you know, the job of the assistant principal, if we can get out of the fires, is to be present for and present with people. You know, education is all about people. It revolves around kids, but we get so busy doing the stuff that it's easy to lose touch with being human and being there with people. And just a simple example, I call it asking the second question. As an assistant principal, I can greet people when they come in the building. I can say hello to the teacher. And we all know how this goes, right? Hey, how are you doing? Oh, fine. And then we walk by. Because when we ask, how are you, we don't really mean, how are you? We're just saying, that's our way of saying hello. And so you're expected to say, I'm fine. But what assistant principals can do is to bring presence to that. 
and to stop and say, Charlie, no, really, like, how are you? They ask that second question. And that, to me, opens a door. And it says, I really care about you. I'm here. I'm being fully present. I want to hear really how you are. So I think it's simple things like that, that create a signal and start to create a shift in terms of what our priorities really are. Well, clearly your priority is to help those APs work with those teachers and invest time in growing teachers. That's why I love that we're focusing on this because they're really struggling. And I think the assistant principal role is extremely unique in the building. I really do as well. And that's why this is this is going to be really good. So you talk about taking leaders through a journey from spending time, putting out those fires that they constantly see and investing that time and being present with teachers and, and again, helping to grow them. So when they do ask, like, how you doing? What if a teacher tells them, you know, I'm not really doing well. Do APs know what to do next? The hardest thing is to do nothing, but that's the important thing. When we give the gift of presence, that that is the most valuable part. And sometimes as leaders, we think we have to jump in and solve problems and offer advice and and talk. And I don't think we do. Certainly there are times, but the most important thing when somebody starts to say, yeah, I'm really struggling like that with something. Okay, well, tell me more. I'm here. And just listen and let them process. People know we're all busy. And so if I stop everything and I'm present and I make you feel like you're the only person in the world that matters at that moment, people recognize how valuable that is. And then if you just give them the space to be able to talk and process things through, you don't have to problem solve. That's not what it's about. It's about creating space for other people to share so that you know. And then maybe you circle around later if if it's appropriate. But in that moment when we're present, we just need to listen. That is the gift. How do you think teachers respond to assistant principals who actually do listen? Because you know there's a difference between people who act like they're listening, give it a couple minutes and then get on their merry way to those who truly hone in on them and, and attune to them. Yeah. Well, I want to visit that, that other part of being fully present or not being fully present because I think presence is physical and it's, it's giving of our time, but it's also the attention. And that's the piece that we sometimes miss, right? We're physically standing there but I've got one foot turned at a 45 degree angle and it's like, like I'm ready to go. And I'm trying to think, I'm thinking about all the other things. So stopping that and, and freezing, that's really critical. I think it builds trust and it communicates value. And it says that you're important here, not just because you're a teacher and you're working with our kids, but because you're a human being and it connects us at a deeper level. And when we talk about growing teachers, we look at it sometimes so mechanically, you know, you, we were just talking about our mastermind group. Mm -hmm. Why does that work? It works because there's a ton of technical knowledge. That's part of it, but we could never 
get as vulnerable as we are. We could never be as openly honest as we are with each other and have it taken, you know, in a positive way. We couldn't do that if we didn't have some level of trust. And so when I ask and when I listen and when I don't interject, that creates trust. It communicates value. And when I consistently show up for people and am present for people over time, that grows that relationship and people are going to start talking about their teaching and what's going on in their teaching. And then you become that collaborator and that partner in helping people grow. Okay. So let's talk about the payoff of that. So I'm an assistant principal or we're, let's say I'm listening and I'm an assistant principal and I'm like, listen, I really do want to do that, but I do have all of these things calling on me right now. So if I can get in the headspace that truly, if I can, if I can just give a little bit of my time to each and every one of these teachers, what is the payoff there? What am I going to see in the building? What's going to change? What are students and parents going to be like, what is going to change? Wow, that's such a great question. I usually look at that whole idea of presence as an entry point to building the relationship and getting us to the place where we can be better in serving our teachers and helping them become better teachers in the directions that are priorities for them. But I also think when we are fully present for people, we are also doing our own self-development and we're growing and it's a way of caring for ourselves because it is this human connection that just brings the joy to the work. And when we're too busy to make that connection, that's when we get so worn down and we get discouraged. But when we can connect with people, that lifts up us up. So to answer your question, I think the difference it makes is over the long term, what you model to people helps them learn to model it to others. So if I can be more present for my teachers, over time, I can help my teachers be more present for my kids, right? And we can imagine the difference that that would make. And the other piece of that is when I build that trust, when I'm there, I become better able to help my teachers be better teachers. Yeah, it also translates into life for them too. So one of the things I love that you actually do is that you help them just kind of escape the darkness. That's a part of it. I know that's something that you've talked about on your podcast and you have a ton of courses and a ton of material to share with people. You have a daily leadership email. I mean, oh my gosh, if people are not connected to you, they really need to get on that. And we'll talk about that towards the end. But what I do love again is about having a simple framework. So can you talk about the framework and those simple tools that you use that not only help them in leadership, but also to improve their daily lives? Because that's huge when it comes to mental health in our schools. I think the easiest and the, the place to start framework-wise is with the Eisenhower matrix. And people may be familiar with that from the work of Stephen Covey. He didn't invent it, but he popularized it. So the Eisenhower matrix has four quadrants. Quadrant one is urgent and important. Quadrant two is important, but not urgent. Quadrant three is not important, but urgent. And so what happens in schools, because there's so much to do, there's so many demands, is that we begin in 
quadrant one, urgent and important. But then there are all these things that are urgent that aren't important, or maybe they feel important. And so when we get in the urgent mindset, we're operating in quadrants one and three. So quadrant one is that a is that place where we're keeping everybody safe and we're taking care of the managerial aspects of a school that have to be done, right? That's really critical, important work. But quadrant two is where we grow people, where we develop people, and where we do the long-term work that moves our organization or our school forward. Quadrant three is that putting out fires piece. And the challenge is that when we get in urgent mode, everything feels important. And what we're really doing is substituting important for urgent. And one of the big keys to being able to be present with people is to be able to let go, to recognize the things that are quadrant three, to let them go, win back a few minutes every day, and then invest those few minutes into quadrant two, which is where I'm growing and connecting with people. Oh my gosh, that's so good. I know I've heard that before, but the way you explained it's good because in the role of any kind of leader, especially in a school where it is just rapid fire sometimes, right? It is hard to discern that. So what kind of advice or what kind of conversations do you have when you coach assistant principals on how to determine what is the leading priority for them in that moment? And especially when we're thinking about mental health of our teachers, because we want to keep our teachers, we want to keep them energized. So let's think about that. How can they prioritize what's going on so that teachers feel okay in the role that they are working with them. Yeah. And so I would remind assistant principals right off the bat that when we're, you and I are probably talking about slightly different things with mental health. I am not the expert. I know that you are, but it seems to me that as a teacher, if I'm in a place where I know I'm valued and I feel connected to my leaders and people consistently invest in helping me to hone my craft and continually become a better teacher, that's a healthy environment, or at least it's, it's more healthy than, than the alternative. So when we are creating an organization, when we're creating the conditions that we can serve our teachers and help them continually become better at their craft, man, I think that's a huge win. So how do we do that? Assistant principals are probably never going to be able to spend all day being in classroom and coaching teachers and all that stuff. It's just not the reality of the job. But the first step is to recognize that you cannot time manage your way into classrooms. And if I talk to assistant principal, like what's the, what's one thing that you wish was better about your job? Most of them are going to say, I wish I was doing more with teachers. I wish I was in classrooms. I wish I was coaching teachers. So the first step is understanding that it's not about time management. You'll never time manage your way out. It is about priority management. It's figuring out what the priorities are and your priorities are quadrant one and quadrant two. And then you have to start to build your day around some of those quadrant two pieces. You have to put them in and you have to schedule them. The other side of that then is you have to build the systems that will allow you to do to execute on quadrant two because every assistant principal knows you step into the classroom, you're there for 30 seconds and then the walkie talkie goes off or the phone goes <laughs> yeah. off or whatever. And there's emergency and you got to 
<laughs> I was in his school last week. And that's, you know, it's exactly what happened. A parent showed up in the, in the office. So you have to build systems that can protect your time. And then you have to train people about what's quadrant three versus what's quadrant two. Okay. That's a value. And, mm -hmm. and conditioning the people and changing the expectations and doing those things it doesn't free up hours, but it frees up minutes. And then there are some techniques that you can use in just five minutes that I can help a teacher grow, help a teacher become better. Okay. So we're going to have to dive into two of these things there then, because this is important. The whole system is important. And if we're going to relieve the system, anytime we provide relief, we're, uh, we're improving mental health, right? So it's, it's a suck of our energy and in our time. So we if we can manage that, that's even better. All right. So tell me one example of a system that that you can give an assistant principal to use to make that an easier process for them. What What is one example of a system you're talking about? So an easy one is standard operating processes and make or procedures and making they call them SOP, standard operating processes for events that happen at uh, student referrals or when a parent comes into the office or maybe the monthly newsletter that needs to go out that you're responsible for. When we develop SOPs, it allows us to do tasks more quickly, more accurately, and it allows us to hand, if not the whole task, at least hand parts of the task off. So if we have an SOP for when a parent comes into the school, there are pieces of greeting that parent and working with that parent and getting information that can be done by front office. They don't just have to call me out of the classroom as an assistant principal. So that's one example. Another example would be making sure that you have structures in place that do protect you when you're in the classroom. So you have kind of emergency plans and you coordinate with your team and you know who's on call at that time. And so if the principals in classrooms, they're not on call, I'm on call. But if I'm in classrooms, then somebody else is on call. And we forget that we can make the decision to do that because there are times when both administrators are out of the building. So what happens? We don't shut down school, right? We have something in place. When we manage our priorities, we start putting those structures in place in order to specifically protect the instructional leadership that we're doing. Well, that's huge because that then shows the teacher you value their time too and what they're doing and that relationship. So that is key. It sounds like communication is truly key because if you have these systems in place, you are communicating the message that, listen, I'm going to do this for everybody's sanity. And so it's more efficient, but also to make sure that the work I'm doing with you is truly valuable. Is that accurate? Do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what we, that's part of shifting expectations too. Look, I am not going to run down the office every time there's a referral because that's a symptom. That's not the problem. The most important thing I can do is serve you as a teacher and help you grow and be there for you. So all this other stuff that I used to just jump up and go do we're going to start handling that different. And I need you maybe to handle some things different so that I can be there to support and grow you and 
if there was one change that we could just make on wholesale, Charlie, in schools, I wish we could turn the way we develop teachers on its head because it's just been ingrained in us, I think, as leaders that we should be able to go into a classroom, diagnose what's wrong, and then tell the mm -hmm. teacher and yeah. fix it. And that is absolutely backwards. And what we need to be doing is asking teachers, hey, if there's one thing you could get your students to do differently, what would it be? And then we need to help the teacher be able to help the kids to do that differently because now we're addressing the teacher's pain point and we become the servant, the person that's helping them be successful and get what they want out of their career. And so now there's this idea of collaboration, of serving. And so now we're not fighting things. We're not facing resistance because we're not trying to get them to do something we think they should do. We're helping them to do something they want to do. Well, oh my gosh. And it's, you build the rapport, you build the relationship, it's symbiotic and it's a partnership. It's truly a partnership that's going on in the school that we so desperately need. Oh my gosh, that student referral process. I'm wondering, do you think, well, in the work that you're doing, do you see a lot of people having that in place where it's a good, efficient system where teachers can communicate that they have a concern about a student? Is that working well in schools right now from your site? There are places so I, I like to use the iceberg model when we talk about student discipline. I actually think about it as safety because when we talk about discipline, one of the challenges we have is that we frequently confuse classroom management with classroom discipline. And to me, management is about all the procedural things that we do every day, but discipline is about safety, right? When somebody's safety is threatened, we then move into discipline mode. If it's not a safety issue, then it's probably not about discipline, which changes a lot of things right there. Mm -hmm. But I think about the iceberg model and we tend to think about discipline events as being volcanoes, right? Something blows up, but it's really an iceberg. And the event is just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. And if all we do is treat the event, which happens in a lot of schools, Mm -hmm. we will never get below the surface to figure things out because most of those discipline issues, it's not about the teacher. Yeah. It's about all the weight of the stuff that is under the water. So if we can start to view discipline events as safety events and icebergs, what happens then is we recognize that the response in the moment we don't gear that towards fixing the problem, right? Our response when that iceberg pops up is to bring the level of threat down, to calm things down. And then once we get that done, it's the afterwards that we need to invest more time in. And some schools are doing a good job of having a team in place where when there's an event, they can work with the student. They can really dig down and figure out what's going on. But a lot of schools are missing that component. And that's not an indictment on them, right? That's that's a hard piece because you're still running around doing all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. The the story that really drives me, Charlie, I was visiting an intern in a rural school, rural elementary school in South Carolina. 
And I walked, I finished with my intern. I walk in the assistant principal's office and you know, when you walk in and you can immediately tell there's something wrong, her yes. hair's out of place. There's yes. papers all over her desk. Her cheeks are flushed. And mm -hmm. I said, Kelly, what's, what's wrong? And she holds up that stack of yellow papers mm -hmm. and she waves them in my face. And she said, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I have seven office referrals. Each one of these referrals is going to take me 30, 45 minutes. My day's gone. Mm -hmm. I, I have teachers I wanted to work with. I wanted to get into classrooms and now I'm stuck in this office. Mm -hmm. And she was almost crying. And I thought for a minute and I said, Kelly, of those seven referrals, how many of those are more about the teacher than the student? Hmm. And she said, five. Wow. Yeah. So can you can you dive into why it has to do with the teacher specifically what you mean by that? I think that's important. Yeah, it's a situation there there are three levels to having a positive classroom culture. There's the relationships, there's the management, and then there's the safety. And so when we wind up with an office referral that probably shouldn't be an office referral, it means that we had a breakdown in one of those three places. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's a bad teacher, right? It just means there right. was a breakdown. There's there's something that's missing. And just like you and I and Darren and Lindsay and Jen can unpack that in our mastermind and we can talk about where the breakdown was in our business. When we go back to where we began this conversation, which is being present and building that relationship with people, we can then go back to our teachers and say, hey, let's look at what happened here, right? Let's do the technical work of looking at where the breakdown was and then figure out what we can do so that we're not in that space again. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of teachers coming in the profession that have not been adequately prepared. Yep. For and, sure. Yes. And it is harder now than it's ever, ever yeah. been to be yeah. a teacher. Well, so many of them don't have a lot of background on child development, brain development, trauma. And I know some of that stuff gets thrown around, but it is essential to understand what's going on. And I think a lot of them, because they have such a good heart, they seek that out themselves. I, I know that that does happen, but I will say 93% of them are overwhelmed because they feel ill-equipped. Even though they do want to respond better, they feel ill-equipped. And that's what you and I are trying to do. And all these people trying to support teachers is we're trying to better equip them so they'll have more confidence to better respond. And then they can protect their own mental health and wellness and function, which is better for the whole system, isn't it? And then essentially they can become better informants for the mental health team and their relationship with APs are better because they're going to be more ready, re ready to learn and grow, but they're not going to grow if they, if they're overwhelmed all the time. So it sounds like the work that you're doing is preparing them for that, is helping them to grow and sifting through all that stuff to just get laser focused so they actually can have some efficacy behind it. Yeah, Charlie, and it's all connected. In 2020, my wife teaches at university. She teaches education. In 2020, she lost her mom and her brother in a six-week span. Oh, goodness. She was just surviving for that, that spring semester, she was just surviving, just trying to show up every day. I mean, that was a win. Can you imagine a situation where she's in a school and the principal's coming in or assistant principal's coming in and 
leaving a grow and a glow. Oh, you did good in this, but you need to tend to this, right? Without having any understanding of where she's at, but mm -hmm. but flip that. And, and I had this story from an assistant principal was telling me that she was had a teacher and the teacher had lost her father and her husband was, was severely ill. So the teacher's barely hanging on. And yeah. the principal just was there, wasn't trying to say, oh, you need to get better, but just, hey, how are you today? What's, you know, let me know where you at, check in, what can I do for you? And this teacher said, I became a better teacher than what I was than what I was, not because my principal was coaching me, but because they were, they were there for me. I knew they had me. And so there's this level at which I can relax a little bit. I can stop beating myself up. Oh, I'm coming in. I'm not being who I should be. You know, the negative self-talk that just wears us out yeah. because I had that affirming presence of my administrator. I could let some of that go. I knew they knew what was going on. I knew they had my back and then maybe that does open the opportunity for places that I could, that the leader could help that teacher grow. Yeah. I mean, you talked earlier about tools that you give, and that was kind of a second part I wanted to explore is giving them tools actually gives them something to fall back on that actually works. And when you don't know what to do and you keep doing the same darn things that you were doing in the past and producing the same result and frustration, there's no growth. So what tool do you provide that's pretty simple to use and, and that somebody could walk away with today trying? Five minute coaching, because that's all we have, right? The idea that we're going to go in and do a 30 minute observation, and then we'll do a post observation conference and we're going to write all that. It, you don't have time to do that. You may have to do the official ones, but you can't use that for growing people. So the premise of five-minute coaching is that the most powerful way that teachers grow is through self-reflection. That is the most potent thing. So if we can teach our teachers to self-reflect, and if we can give them the space to self-reflect, we are helping them grow themselves. And there's a set of questions that we can use that we don't have to know the subject. I don't have to know physics to help the physics teacher grow. I don't have to know chemistry. I don't have to know music because it's three simple questions. So five minute coaching. The first thing I do is that greeting, right? I want to establish I'm fully present with you. I want to know how things went. So uh, tell me, you did a recent event. Didn't, haven't you done some a talk? Tell me what you did. I spoke to a, some school leaders and school mental health professionals and actually some state officials about getting some relief in this, their schools and districts. Wow. That's a, that's so important. What went well? I knew I had them. They were very engaged. They asked questions. They were nodding their head and they, they came to talk to me afterwards because they wanted more information and for me to do work with them. Mm, how fun. Charlie, were there any surprises during the day? Yes, that I didn't have enough time to follow up with them afterwards. And I really wanted to do that, but there was so much time or it was so quick for the transition that I, I couldn't really hone in on them. And so next time you do something like this, is there anything that you would do differently? Yes, I would wrap it up sooner. So we'd have time for conversation at the end. 
And you may or may not have had time to process all that before we just did it. Teachers a lot of times don't. I didn't. I didn't really think about that. And I'm so I that happened and that was like under two minutes, was it not? Yeah. Yeah. It really did once you once you got me to say that and truly do that reflection, because I'm like, I'm very reflective. I didn't on that event. And it made me think, oh wow, that's a very quick solution I can do for the next time when I do planning. So here's here's why that works. When when I ask what went well, right? You're getting to to crow about yourself. Mm-hmm. And Teachers don't get, nobody asks a teacher about, hey, how is your practice going? What, tell me your wins. Right. We may do that every now and then. But imagine what's going well. That allows teachers to talk about that. And then I love surprise. Because if I say what went wrong, right, that's kind of a gotcha question. And that that requires more vulnerability. But if I just say, were there any surprises? Surprises could be good things, mm-hmm. right? Or they can be things that maybe I want to go back and revisit later. So it's a very neutral question. And when we process things, we do process what went well and what didn't well, what didn't go well. We almost never ask ourselves what surprised us. And if people are just listening on audio, they did not see your expression. Because when I asked that, you just stopped and you turned your head and your eyes looked up because you were activating your brain and doing really heavy processing. Right. And that happens almost every time you ask mm. somebody, what surprised you? They will turn their head and you could just see the wheels turning. So it's a great, great question to get people engaged and to, to start doing that critical self-reflection. And then w- it's important, not what would you do differently, but would you do anything differently? Because again, that's an open invitational question. It doesn't say, oh, you screwed up. You need to change something. Yeah, It's point. just an invitation. What Would you do anything differently? And here's one of the keys, Charlie, is two of them. One is if a teacher says, ah, nothing surprised me and I wouldn't change anything. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, yeah, I, about, I listened to things. <laughs> but this isn't about you. It's about them. And so the important thing is to just accept that and say, hey, thank you for sharing. I really appreciate that. Because about the 10th time that you show up and you ask those questions, they're going to know that this is not a gotcha. They're like, oh, he he's not waiting to tell me what I did wrong. Yeah. He's actually really just asking, this is about me. And so now I've established that trust. Now I can start, teachers are going to start to have more of that vulnerability. And the other key is for me to not just be quiet just be quiet because it's about them self-reflecting. The most important thing I can do is ask the question and then just be quiet. And if there's something that needs to be followed up on, I'll follow up on that later, right? I can come back in the afternoon and say, hey, you know, I was thinking about that conversation we had earlier and you said you were talking about that one student that's, you know, creating troubles for you. Can we talk more about that? But I have to do it later because I don't want to take away from the moment. Like I'm, what I'm doing is precious to you. I know it's precious and important. And you know it's precious and important because nobody does this for you. Five minutes, two minutes. True. It's so true. And so many teachers are craving that. They need it. And it, it can 
changed their energy immediately. It did for me. And I'm not even in that right now. That was, that was a couple of weeks ago, but it made me excited about the next time. Like, oh yeah, it's so simple. And I can just do that next time. And then that way I have time and space to actually have the conversation. So thank you for that. That's it's doable. It is so doable. And we need something like that, Frederick, in our education system right now, don't we? Yeah. We, and we need stuff that's simple and we need stuff that's I can execute quickly because that's all we have. That's right. We don't have time for big overhauls, do we? Oh my goodness. Okay. So, and there's assistant principals are trying to develop teachers all the time. I mean, they, we need to do that. So they want to stay in our buildings and do the job that they really love to do. So what else can you, like, how else do you serve assistant principals? I know you have a lot. Please share, especially the courses and other things you're doing. Yeah. So I have the daily email, which is, I try to keep it under 300 words. I have an MVP, a minimally viable product. That's just one bold statement. So if you don't have time, you can just read the MVP as the message, but then about 300 words and a daily intention, right? Just it's that reminder for us to lead and to be mindful of something in our system, to be mindful of someone else, to be mindful, to show up as our best selves or check in with ourselves. So there's the daily email. There's the assistant principal podcast, which comes out at 6 a.m. every mm -hmm. Tuesday. And that's a lot like what we're doing here. So unpacking really important things and talking to people that just have so much knowledge in areas. But then I always say, I want to improve life and leadership. And I love that you asked me what's something simple that somebody could do. Because if I listen to a 30-minute podcast and I don't walk away with something that I can put into action, then I'm not sure you know, that it was that it had the value. And then I'm developing a whole series of courses on classroom culture because I've trained on management practices and discipline practices for decades, but I never made that connection on how much those are connected and that they're not the foundation. The foundation is relationships. Like that's what, that's what lights us all up. And so here I was doing the, the, the second and the third tier of the work, but ignoring the foundation. So I've really jumped into that. I've got a free 59 minute, 59 minutes of video, free course on classroom culture foundations for leaders. And so that's what I'm inviting everybody come in and get that and go look at the course and take the course because what it does is it presents, it uses frameworks, really simple ways that we can actually build common language and common understanding of what do we mean when we say relationships with kids? How do we teach classroom procedures? How do we troubleshoot classroom procedures? When we talk about the iceberg model of safety or discipline, if we all know that and we can all talk about that, think about how much easier it becomes then for us to have the conversations, to build the systems, to build the knowledge around those three elements and to be collaborative as school leaders and as teachers. So that's the big piece I'm working on right now. Well, it's huge. Is that the thing that pops up on your website that they can sign up to, or is that the the email? How, what how do they pops get up, these things? Yeah, yeah, what pops up right now is the email. So I'm just okay. wrapping up the the one of the sequence of those courses, and we need to update the website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now I know you've prompted me. <laughs> I want the well, good. This is what we do for each other, don't we? I want people to be able to go get it. I think they're craving it right now. 
So if anybody would like to go and just find out more about all of this information and then reach out to you. So they would go to frederickbuskey.com and that's B-U-S-K-E-Y, frederickbuskey.com, correct? Yes. And you get everything there. And I love hearing from people. So if anybody wants to reach out, my email is frederick at frederickbuskey.com. And if you just type in Frederick Buskey on Google, it should pop up. Yes, it definitely does. And you're on LinkedIn too, right? Yeah. And can you talk about the book real quick? So the book, which doesn't have a catchy title yet, that's what you have a publisher for. (laughs) But it's, it's all about the journey, that journey from being an urgent leader to being a strategic leader. And the urgent leaders are the ones that are caught in quadrants one and three. A strategic leader is the one who takes care of quadrant one, but then has created the systems to invest in quadrant two. And there is a specific way to get to that journey. Like first thing is to let go of time management, focus on priority management. Then we need to develop ways and techniques to do less, like to push off that quadrant three stuff. Then we need to build our systems. Then we need to change people's expectations. And then we need to take the minutes that we win back and apply high leverage practices like five minute coaching so that we can start that work of teacher development. And then that moves us into that strategic leadership phase. That's awesome. And that five minute coaching is the one thing, if you take nothing else away today, that is what you need to start implementing. It it really does matter. It does make it. Charlie, I'll, I'll put that up on the, on the website. Okay. If people actually go to my website, frederickbuskey.com and just click on assistant principal podcast, I'll put that up there so that that's, that's at the top above the fold and people can just download. I've got a, a handout on five minute coaching that breaks it down. Yeah. And they can just listen to your podcast for all of these pieces of information. There's a ton of it there, a ton of it there. Yeah. So thank you. I appreciate all that you've shared with us. It's it's truly helpful. And I can't wait to talk with you further about this again. It's been great, Charlie. Thank you so much. And I, I wish listeners, I hope listeners, as they reflect on this conversation, are also thinking about how present we were for each other and how much we're both going to walk away from this, not tired, but exhilarated. And, and this is just one example of what happens when we show up for each other and, and we're there and we're present and invested. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for being here. Truly. I appreciate it. Charlie, thank you. And thanks for all the amazing work that you do and people need to reach out and they need to look at everything that you're doing and just understand how important your presence is and how much affirmation you bring to relationships and things. I've loved getting to know you. Well, that is so kind. I didn't pay him to say that, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) And no, and that's what the support and the growth together is too. So thanks again. I appreciate it. And everybody, I hope you come back and keep listening to this podcast because we have such great people here like Frederick that can help deepen our understanding of how to get through this system and be exhilarated and be energetic and just come together so we can we have total hope for the future of education. I am so hopeful about it. If you need any resources for mental health for your schools, you can go to thrivingeducator.org. And if you get there, there will be a pop-up. If you do nothing else other than that five-minute coaching, 
model that Frederick had. Um, on that website, thrivingeducator.org, there is a pop-up there. You can get a school mental health audit. I want you to get that. It's a 16-page downloadable tool that you can just bring right back to your mental health team. Just check out what deficits there are and more importantly, what strengths you're working from. And if you are working in New York State, I will be doing the opening keynote for the New York State Middle School Association in January. I cannot wait. I hope you can join us. And I'll also be in San Diego in February at the AASA. So if you're a superintendent in California, I hope to see you all there. Okay. Thanks you all. And again, Frederick, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Charlie. It's been great.